Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. Today God speaks to us from Psalm 16. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have delight, I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Check, check, check. Can you all hear me in the system? I might have muted myself instead of unmuted. Or now? All right. So I uh, had this upper respiratory thing going on, and my hearing is off, off as well. So I'm even more dependent on the Lord today because I'm not fully there. But, um, well, good morning, Redeemer East Harlem family. It's always a morning. Didn't expect you all to answer back. <laughs> um, it's all, always a pleasure to be able to stand before you all and uh, unfold the the, the beauty of, of Jesus through the word. Um, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, then you know we've been tracking the grand narrative of the Bible as it shows up throughout the book of Psalms. So over the past few weeks, we've looked at God, creation, the fall, redemption, mission, and today as the last installment of this series, we're looking at renewal. And uh, I'm short, so let me bring this down a little lower. Um, what, what do we mean by renewal when we think about the, the overarching theme of the Bible, the grand story of the Bible? Well, think back to when God created all things in, in Genesis. Everything was perfect. He created all of nature, all of hu humankind, and one, we dwelt with God in perfect harmony. It was perfect peace, perfect communion between us and God. There was also perfect peace between us and fellow humans. Adam and Eve dwelt in perfect harmony. And there was also perfect unity and harmony between us and nature. We stewarded it well and uh, took, took great care of the, the nature that God entrusted us with. But when our first parents, Adam and Eve, fell into sin in the garden, they flung the door open for sin, death, sadness, sickness, misery, and all the things that come with living in a fallen world. And, and since then, these things have wreaked havoc on our lives here in this, on, on earth. But then we fast forward to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. And we're given a, a, a beautiful picture of, of renewal. We're given a picture of a, of a new creation. 
We're told that God says, behold, I am making all things new. The old heaven and earth have passed away. And he's made his dwelling place again with mankind. Again, we have that unity, that human, human beings and God dwelling together in perfect harmony. And we also have perfect harmony between one another and perfect harmony, again, with nature. And, and God says, I will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any sadness, no more grief, no more crying, no more death, no more of the things that, 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 that break our hearts in this world. So what is our, our current, I guess, posture towards this vision as we live on this side of, this, of eternity? Our, our current posture is one of hope. We don't see it yet. It's been promised, and, and we know God is faithful. He keeps his promises. But as, as we don't currently see it, we, we eagerly long for it with hope. And in chapter 8 of the book of Romans, Paul tells us that it's not just us who's, who's, who's waiting for this with hope. It's also creation itself, that we with nature are, are groaning as, as a woman who's in labor, um, experiencing the pain of contraction, something I know nothing about, but you know, I, I've seen my wife go through it and just eagerly waiting to give birth to this, this new creation. We, with nature, groan and, and long for it, and we wait for it eagerly with hope. So when we think about renewal on, on this side of, of eternity, of, on this side of Jesus coming back, it, it's marked by hope. And Psalm 16 is, is a passage that's marked by hope. And there's two things that we're going to look at that this psalm teaches us today. One is that we need a hope that can sustain us. We need a hope that can sustain us throughout whatever life throws our way. Excuse me. I need a hope that can sustain my throat. Um, so we need a hope that can sustain us. And this psalm also teaches us how to get it. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give credit to Tim Keller, where it's due, because he had this phenomenal Easter sermon on, on this passage that I uh, referred to more than once during my preparation for this to think through what is the best way to communicate this truth. So if something really strikes a chord with you first, thank God, thank the Holy Spirit, and also thank Tim Keller. That's probably him. But um, so let's look at this first point. We need a hope that can sustain us. This, this psalm opens with David crying out with a cry of hope. We're not given any specific details of what David is facing, but we know he's in trouble. He says, preserve me, God, keep me safe, for in you alone do I take refuge. He's, he's crying out. He's in trouble. He's saying, life is doing what life does, and I'm falling apart. I need you to hold me together, God. But it's not a hopeless cry. It's a cry of hope. He says, in you alone do I take refuge. And then when we skip ahead a few verses to verse 8, he says, I have set the Lord always before me. Is that verse 8? Yes. Okay. I have said the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. He says, because I have this hope and an unshakable God, I know that no matter what life throws at me, even though it doesn't look good right now, that I will not be shaken. I will stand. I have a hope that sustains me. Um, and, and the presence of hope in this passage becomes even more clear when we uh, look at the Greek the Greek translation that uh, Jesus and his disciples would have been somewhat familiar with during that time, Peter quotes from it in, in Acts when he quotes this passage. Um, in verse 9, the end part of verse 9, that passage that Peter quotes from says, my flesh or my body dwells in hope. 
It dwells securely. It will dwell in hope. So this passage is marked by hope, not just any kind of hope, but a hope that can sustain us. And, and why is it that we need a hope that can sustain us in this world? I mean, I, I maybe don't even really need to give an answer for that. You all have experienced the, the pain of living in a fallen world. And when we look to our left and our right under the sun, there's really no hope here that can really sustain us. I mean, let's, let's look to science, for example. Science is great. I mean, where will we be without the scientific achievements throughout the, the centuries? Um, and the thing is, science can only answer certain kinds of questions. So science can tell us a lot about the world that we live in and how it works, but it's unfair to bring the science to question of why do I try to continue and fight to survive when it seems like this world is working against me? That's not the type of question science can answer. I mean, it's like, imagine you're stranded in a desert. You're, you're, you're starving, you're thirsty, you're dehydrated, and you're exhausted. The sun is just beating down on you. Science is going to be able to maybe give you some details about the landscape, um, or maybe even give you some guidance as to where you're more likely to find water. And once you find that water, how you can purify it so that you don't get sick and, and die immediately from, from drinking it. But when the sun is just beating down on you and, and, and hope dwindles, science doesn't give you a, a, a why for why you should go on and, and, and try to fight for your survival another day when it would be so much easier to just lay down and die. If anything, if, if, if you approach life with just a purely scientific, purely natural way of seeing things, the, the more logical answer would be to give up. So science doesn't give us a, a, a lasting hope, a hope that really sustains us throughout all things that come our way. Also, there's no sustaining hope in, in human advancement or politics. Think about it. Um, in the past 100 years, we've come so far as a civilization. We were able to land on the moon, come up with countless medical cures and innovations, invent the internet, the cell phone, and achieve many other crazy feats. But then COVID-19. Isn't it crazy how a freaking virus shut the world down for months and even years? Like Those are like ancient problems. Like, despite all of the advancements that we've made, we're still facing the same ancient problems. Human advancement alone doesn't give us a lasting hope that we can cling to through, throughout all life will throw at us. Uh, the same comes when you look at political, political issues, politics. I mean, you, you vote. We, we've got elections coming up. You vote for a candidate that you hope will win. If he or she does win, you've got four years with them, and, and, and hopefully you can... Uh, get them reelected if, if, if they fulfilled their promises. Uh, but then it, it starts all over again. And it's kind of crazy that the same political issues reoccur in every single campaign. Not just here, but you could look at it in other countries and nations and see what their talking points are. There's always inequality and social justice, health care, national security and foreign policy, and, and the list just goes on. Politics and human achievement can't give us a hope that will really last and endure and sustain us throughout all life will throw at us. And there's also no hope in individual personal achievements or relationships. If you look for hope in, 
maybe financial security, in success, in beauty, in anything within this life, there is nothing that life and death will not eventually take from you. I mean, I, I think often about a good friend that I made during seminary. He's a good friend of me and my family. His name is Mark. Uh, he was on the path to uh, become maybe the next world champion in, in Sambo. If you don't know what Sambo is, it's a Russian style of, of grappling, a, a martial art. Um, and he had everything going for him. He, he worked out like a, like a monster. He was jacked. Um, and he was actually given private lessons every day, free of charge, by a, a multi, multiple time world champion in, in, in that field. But one day, he's riding his motorcycle. He stops at a red light and he gets hit um, from the back with, by a car from a woman who's supposed to be stopping at the red light and she's not paying attention. Her eyes are on her phone. And within that split second, he, he breaks his spine and he's paralyzed from the waist down. And he told me that there were so many days where he was laying in that hospital bed and he didn't know why he should fight, why he should fight to survive. And if his hope was tied up in, his, in, in, in achieving his dreams and uh, making a big ensemble, he probably wouldn't have found a reason. And I mean, there's also those that we know who actually achieve their dreams and their hopes and aspirations. But sadly, in our culture, it's, it's far too common that we hear of celebrities that end their lives early because they, they reach the highest of heights of, of fame and, and respect and recognition, and it doesn't fulfill them like they thought it would. It doesn't really scratch that itch like they thought it would. So there's no lasting hope in our personal achievements or even in our relationships. We all know partners can leave. Marriages can fall apart. Families can fall apart. Friendships can fall apart. So if, if we can't find any hope in, in, in science, in, in human achievement, or politics, or our own personal relationships and achievements, how do we get it? Thank God we have an answer in Psalm 16. And part of that answer is found in verse 4. He says, the sorrows of those who run after another God. I'm, I'm, I'm quoting from a, a different version that, that you got, than you guys have up here. But The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. They drink offerings of blood. David refuses to pour out or take their names on his lips. The sorrows of those who run after a, a false God, they'll, they'll multiply. They'll stack up. The reality is if, if you look for hope in financial security and success and beauty and anything within this life, it isn't just a dream or aspiration. You've made it more than that. You've made it life itself. You've made it a God. And it's a false God. And false gods, they never give you the fulfillment they promise. They only give you sorrow upon sorrows. When we look for hope in a false God, they don't sustain us. They don't carry us. They crush us. Listen to this passage from Isaiah chapter 46, verses 1 to 4. It reads, Bell bows down, Nebo stoops low. Bell and Nebo are, are idols of uh, foreign nations. Their idols are born by beasts of burden. The images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. They stoop and bow down together, unable to rescue the burden. They themselves go off into captivity. Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, 
all the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. This is God talking to his people saying, if you go and chase after another God, they're not going to carry you. They're not going to sustain you. They're actually going to demand that you carry them, that you bear them on your back, and you won't be able to bear up the weight. It's going to break your back. It's going to crush you. But I'm the one who's made you. I'm the one who's loved you and carried you from the moment of birth, and I'll carry you through gray hairs. That's the promise that God holds out, and only he can deliver. No, no hope in, in any other thing that we allow to take the place of God in our lives can never deliver on this. It will only crush us. So we, we first need to stop running to false gods for hope. But then second, we need to run to the one true God as our only real wealth, as our only real pleasure. Because he's the only hope that neither life nor death can take away from us. But as David saying in verse 2, he says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. He's saying, God, you're my everything. That when I look at all of the, the things that I have in life, the good things, the beautiful things, the things that bring me joy, they're nothing compared to you. That if I were to lose them all, you remain, and I'm richer than ever. He says something similar in verses 5 and 6. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. He's my satisfaction, my wealth. You hold my lot secure. He's banked all that he has on, on the presence of God. And he says, that's going to deliver every single day for me. And it's enough to carry him through life, through all that life throws his way. But not just in this life, also even in the face of death. He goes on in verses 9 through 11 to say, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. My body dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to the place of the dead. You will not allow me to see decay. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What is he talking about here? Well, you got you to realize that David didn't have the, the New Testament. We, we got an advantage there. So he may not have had such a, as developed of an understanding of the resurrection and, and the, the re, hope of renewal that we have, but he knows there's something more. He's saying, God, you love me too much, and you're too powerful to let death separate us. And in fact, that's how New Testament authors interpreted this. In, in Acts chapter 2, Peter, he preaches his first sermon after uh, after Jesus ascends to heaven, and he quotes this passage. And he says, our forefather David, we know he died and he, he's been buried, and his grave is still with us to this day. So he couldn't have been talking about himself. He had to be looking ahead and talking about Jesus. Jesus is the only one who death could not hold. Death had to spit him up. He triumphed over death. And through faith in him, his triumph is ours, so that we know that death itself can't separate us from the hope that we have in God, from the hope that he's promised not just to us, but to this whole world to right everything wrong, everything that's wrong, to undo all that's wrong, to, to fix every broken heart. 
And, and the goal of resurrection is not just that we'd be able to see our loved ones again in heaven, which is uh, a, a sure promise for us. And it's not just that we'd see every right made wrong, but it's ultimately that we'd be able to have God in a way that we've never had him before fully, completely. That we'd be able to know the, the pleasures forevermore the, that are in his right hand and the, and the fullness of joy that never runs dry. I, I, I once heard a, a preacher put it like this, trying to, trying to get his congregation to imagine, imagine what it's like to experience all the goodness that God has to offer in eternity. Like, just think about the funniest person you know, the most kind person you know, the most generous person, most loving, most humble, most talented and gifted and, and, and beautiful and just goes on. Or think about the best meal you've ever had or the best physical sensation you've ever experienced and, and multiply that, tune it up to an infinite degree and you still haven't even started to scratch the surface of how good God is, of how amazing eternity with him will be. That's the promise that he holds out for us so that no matter what life throws our way, no matter what we suffer, no matter what we lose in this life, we know that we have nothing ahead of us but gain. As, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians and also in Romans 8, the, the sufferings of this present world are not even worthy to be compared to the immeasurable weight of glory that, that God is storing up for us. This is the hope that we have in Christ. And it's not because we're so good that we deserve it. It's not because we do the right things and say the right prayers. But he gives, he gives himself to us freely. He gives us this promise of the new creation, of, of resurrection, of all things being right, made right, not because we deserve him, but because we admit that we don't deserve him and we need him to save us. Now, I don't want to assume that everybody in here or even who, who might be listening online buys into this hope. You may not be convinced of this hope. But I want to at least ask you, would you at least imagine what it would be like if, if you did? What it would be like if, if you could go through life with a 100% a sure, sure and certainty, know that everything that you face isn't your end, that every, every heartbreak and upset and frustration that you face will measure up to be much more pleasure than you could ever imagine, that every injustice that you experience in this life or see in this life will be made right beyond our majesty wildest of imaginations. Imagine what it would be like to know that there's nothing that can stop this from happening, that all of your deepest longings are guaranteed, they're guaranteed in God's plan of resurrection and renewal. And if that's something that you, you want, you don't have to reach for it with a blind faith. We as Christians don't have a blind faith, but our faith has its reasons. You see, I, I, I spoke about Peter and Paul who both quoted from this passage and, and put their hope in the resurrection and, and proclaimed the resurrection of Christ. But that wasn't always their posture towards the resurrection. Peter was a coward. He denied that he knew Jesus to, to a little girl who, who pressed him on it the night that Jesus was, being, was arrested and, and, and ready to be crucified. And even after Jesus' death, he cowered with the rest of the disciples, hiding in a room, scared that they would be found out and, and uh, experienced the same fate as Jesus. But there was something that pulled him out of that room 
and that had him in front of hundreds and thousands proclaiming the resurrection of Christ, even knowing that it was going to end up with him being arrested and crucified himself. And that's because he came face to face and saw the resurrected Savior. It wasn't a blind faith. The same with Paul. Paul hated Christ and this whole notion of, of a resurrected Jesus. He, he went so far as to go and have prison, um, Christians imprisoned and, and killed for their proclamation of this faith. But then he, as well, comes face to face with the resurrected Savior. And he goes from being a, a Christian hater to one who proclaims the, the, the resurrection of Christ and gets stoned for it, gets beaten for it, gets whipped for it, and eventually gets arrested and uh, executed for his proclamation of the resurrection. Our faith has its reasons, and I encourage you to go explore them if you're, if you're not convinced of this. But if you are convinced of this hope, if you have put your faith in Christ and you look for this hope and this new creation and this resurrection, well, you'll be, we'll be with God forever, and every wrong will be made right. I want you to also imagine what would it be like if you brought that hope into every challenge that you're facing, into everything that you've suffered, if, into everything that you lose, You'd be able to face every challenge confidently, unshakably. You'd be invincible. You'd be able to take every risk because no matter what happens, the end of your story is already written. And spoiler alert, you win. With that, let us pray. God, we thank you so much that you give us what this world could never give us. What so many false gods and alternatives promise, but never deliver on. You give us a hope that will sustain us, not only in this life and all that it has to throw at us, but even in the face of death itself. We long for the day where Jesus returns and makes right everything that's been wrong. Where he restores that perfect unity between us and you, us and one another, and us in this world. As we long for that hope, let us Bring it into every trial that we face, trusting in you to deliver and carry us through. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. For more information on our church and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.